Amen. Um, yes, you may be seated. Sorry. All right, over the last uh, couple weeks, we started a series called Everyday Gospel. We're still in that this morning. And uh, the first week of that, uh, Reggie uh, spoke a little bit about discipleship. And he defined it as uh, submitting all of life to the empowering presence and lordship of Jesus Christ. And last week, we began to talk about that a little bit more. And then we're going to continue to talk about that today. So over this month, uh, we, want to, we just want to think together about what it means to submit all of life. That's what we're focusing on, what it means to submit all of life to Jesus. So our goal is to take a closer look into some different like, areas of life. When we talk about all of life, like what, what are these different areas that we have in life, we're going to look at those and begin to examine them through the lens of the gospel. That's what we did last week with work. We started talking about work and vocation and occupation, what, the, what all that uh, looks like through the lens of the gospel. And so that we want to look at these different areas of life, and then we want to equip you to go and continue to examine it with the gospel, right? Uh, together. Uh, we want you to pray together. We want you to talk together. We want you to study the Bible together and practice uh, living the gospel, living out uh, the gospel in, in all these different areas together. So like I said, last week uh, we, we talked about work, uh, but we can't cover all areas of life in just a few weeks, obviously. Um, but we do want to help kind of crack the windows and doors open into some areas of life that maybe we tend to overlook or if we do talk about them, we just keep talking about the same things over and over again. And, and it's just, maybe we just uh, get a fresh area to, to talk about and, and places that we aren't normally going. So, you know, we're just trying to go there together. Um, last week we talked about work, like I said. And what we talked about was that the Holy Spirit, this is kind of what we came down to, the Holy Spirit enables us to be thankful and to find joy in our work. Uh, we asked the question, would God put us in a career or in a job that we couldn't enjoy? And then we just changed that and said, he won't put you in one that he doesn't enable you to enjoy. And so we talked about that the Holy Spirit enables us to be thankful and find joy in our work. And now this week, we're going to talk about money. Real quick, before you shut down because I said the word money, I'm going to ask you not to shut down because I said money. I, I know that's the tendency, and it's not necessarily because you disagree with anything we're going to say, or, uh, but I mean, you, know, you come to church and hear about money, maybe we all just go to the same place. Uh, but it's not necessarily that we disagree with what's being said or anything like that, but we just think that we know what's coming, right? I'm just going to ask you to hang with us for a little bit this morning. Don't shut down. We're going to talk about money. Yes, we're going to talk about giving, and we're also going to talk about spending, and we're going to talk about savings. But what I really want to get across this morning is that all those things, giving, saving, spending, those are things that we do with our money, Right? And the question I really want us to ask and begin to ask together in the coming weeks as you go back in your MCs and your DNAs and you talk to friends and, and your Christian brothers and sisters about these things, what I really want us to ask is, who am I with money? Who am I? Whose are you with your money or without your money? That's what I really want us to get to. That's, what, that's the heart of the matter that we're going to get to. You know, this week, you probably heard that the Powerball lottery was really big. I don't know. It seemed to be on the news everywhere. Uh, if you watch the TV or if you scan Facebook or Twitter or whatever social media you may uh, use, you probably saw a few stories on, you know, the whole Powerball thing. There's, like, people buying tons of tickets. You know, I saw, like, a picture uh, with somebody that had, like, a stack of lottery tickets like, like that. I heard about somebody uh, spending $1,000 at the gas station here in Augusta in front of somebody else we know uh, on some Powerball tickets. And uh, 
Yeah, it was crazy. I think it was something like $1.5 billion. Am I right? 1.3, 1.5, something like that. Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand and tell me if you gambled this week, but uh, that's not really the point this morning. Uh, but what that did do, I felt like I got lucky this week because I'm talking about money this week, and this was, you know, ahead of time. We talked about that I was going to talk about money, and then the Powerball got to $1.5 billion, and there was this stuff all over everywhere. So that's easy to go to. Um, one thing I came across is uh, this thing, and you may have seen it. Uh, it was like an article that interviewed Mark Cuban, the multi-billionaire Mark Cuban, uh, about what advice he would give to whoever found themselves rich overnight, right? And he listed a few things, but there was one thing that really caught my attention, just one piece of advice that, I, that really caught me. He, and he said this, he said, if you weren't happy yesterday, you won't be happy tomorrow. It's money, it's not happiness. If you weren't happy yesterday, you won't be happy tomorrow. It's money, it's not happiness. And I thought, wow, like I wonder how many Christians probably need to hear that. I wonder how many Christians are looking to money for their happiness and not finding joy and happiness in their Savior. I'm not going to talk about the lottery all day. I just thought that was a good point to make. Uh, Actually, let's turn to Scripture because it's probably better than anything I have to say. And we're going to look in Luke uh, chapter 12, verse 13 through 21. This is the parable of the rich fool. Um, So you you may be familiar with it. Luke 12, 13 through 21. It says this. And someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbiter over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. Covetousness. I can't say that word. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grains and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. So it looks to me like this story starts out with this guy who asked Jesus to tell his brother to share his inheritance with him. And then Jesus, I mean, that kind of sounds fair to me. There's two brothers. One of them's getting all the inheritance. Why not split it? Whatever. And then Jesus seems to just kind of go overboard with his answer of no. Uh, but, but I'm thinking maybe there's more to the story of that. Maybe there's something we don't get from, from Augusta in 2016, right? Um, so, when this guy, this is what I want us to see, when this guy asked Jesus to sort of like arbitrate and judge on this issue for him, what, first of all, he doesn't really ask him to arbitrate or judge. All he really asks is for him to side with him, right? But he is, that's something that rabbis did in the day. They would arbitrate and judge in, in issues like this. And so, he's treating him as a rabbi, and, uh, and that's normal. But then, the way Jesus answers is pretty astonishing then, because Jesus was a rabbi. And he says, man, which, by the way, is not an endearing term in the way this is said. Um, it's kind of like, man, who made me a judge or arbiter about you, over you? You know, he, he really separates himself from the, from the rabbi. So the question is, 
is more of a statement, really. He's separating himself from the rabbis. And, and so if he's separating himself from the other rabbis, we've got to ask, what's, what's he doing? Is he saying, I'm not like the other rabbis? I'm not as good as the other rabbis, and I don't have the right to, to be a judge or arbiter in this situation? Or is he saying that he's much more than a rabbi? You can guess that it's, it's the latter. But uh, his, his, his next comment really clears it up, I think. He says, take care. He says it to them. He says it to the whole crowd, not just to that guy, right? Take care and be on your guard against all covetedness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. You see, Jesus came to do much more than judge and arbiter these type of situations. He came much, to do much more than just be a man and be a rabbi. He came to rescue men, and he came to transform hearts. And so when he hears the question, he goes right to the heart of the matter. This guy's asking for something. He's not even asking for an arbiter. He really just wants the money. He sees in him the greed and the self-centeredness. And Jesus goes right to the heart and shows a better way through the story that he tells, through the parable. And he says, take care. Be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Or if you look in the message, which is a uh, kind of a paraphrase by Eugene Peterson, I like the way he puts it. He says, life is not defined by what you have even when you have a lot. Take care. Be on guard. Your life is not defined by what you have. That's what I want us to hear this morning. Your life is not defined by what you have or what you don't have. What matters most is who you are. Maybe what matters most really is whose you are, with or without money, with or without possessions. Whose are you? Who does that make you? And that will determine what you do with the money that you do have and with the possessions that you do have. Now, there's a lot more that we could take from this passage, but uh, we're going to invite David Cathcart and Wes uh, Childers up to have a conversation with me, and I think we're going to kind of pull some of that stuff out as we talk. We did this last week, too. Uh, I hope it's okay. But um, just like I said, we, over the next uh, couple of weeks, we want us to like begin to dive in and have these conversations together and We've done that in preparing these few weeks, and so I thought it'd be good if we can kind of hear from, from some others. Uh, if you don't know the Childers, Wes and Sarah, or the Cathcarts, David and Stephanie, uh, well, you should get to know them. Wes is one of the elders here. David helps lead uh, one of the missional communities. They're great people, uh, very wise, and uh, I would suggest that you get a cup of coffee with them or something and get to know them. Um, all right, thanks, guys, for coming up for a few minutes and being willing to share. Um, over this week, we've, I've talked with both of you guys about um, how the gospel directs what we do with our money, how the, gospel how the gospel speaks to how we handle our money. So Wes, uh, I'll start with you. We shared, you shared with me the other day about a perspective change that you felt was foundational to the whole conversation about money. Uh, would you mind kind of unfolding that a little bit? So uh, I would start out by uh, saying that as I, growing up, my parents were really good about trying to establish uh, my brother and I a good a biblical, uh, healthy view of money. So you know, when I was 10 years old, I got 50 cents a day for doing my chores. So that's 3.50 a week. So at the end of the week, my parents had us put it into an envelope, 25% to save, 10% to give to the church, and then the rest was for us to spend however we saw fit. Um, so. That was really easy to do as a 10-year-old. 35 cents taken to the church is not, no, no big deal, no big loss. So I appreciate the, uh, 
my parents establishing that as a habit and, t- and teaching us uh, about faithful giving. They, they were both faithful givers and, and always really uh, trusted the Lord to provide for our family. Um, but as I got older and as I got a job in high school and in college and started a career after college, um, it began to be hard uh, and there began to creep into my heart uh, the idea of, oh, this is, I did a lot of work for this money. And when that was not 35 cents that I was giving to the church and it wasn't, you know, uh, 25% of that that I needed to save, that became something that I had to begin to struggle with. And so uh, at some point along the way in, the, in that struggle, um, I was taught uh, through my church and through some other ministries that I was involved with and began to really believe and change and see uh, differently, um, have have really just a different idea about money. And I began to understand that um, I'm really a manager of what God's given us. I think a lot of us in this room would say, oh, yeah, God has provided all of it. It's all God's. Um, Even if we look in Scripture, there's uh, Psalm 24.1 says, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. If you look in a lot of... uh, other versions, that's the ESV, a lot of other versions say, uh, and everything in it. So anytime in scripture where I see like an, uh, an all-encompassing word, like everything, I feel like God's made himself pretty clear. Uh, so, so for me, just as my, as my heart began to change and see myself really as a manager of God's money, it, it really affected uh, the heart that I had in giving. It affected the way that I uh, made decisions to spend uh, my money. And it is... Uh, as later on in my kind of a mid-20s as Sarah and I got married and we began to look at this and kind of make decisions together as a family, um, that's really the lens that we've taken and, the, and the, um, I guess the approach that we've taken is that we view ourselves as managers of what God's given us. And that really changes uh, everything. I think we'll talk about that a little bit more as we go. But that's kind of really the, the shift uh, in my mindset that's made the biggest difference. What about you, David? Anything about perspective? Yeah, I really love what Wes um, was saying there with the Psalms, and I'll read again, just the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, because I think it just exactly nails, hits the nail on the head of our approach to money, that everything we earn um, first came from the Lord and it's his, and we're just kind of stewards of it. I kind of want to go through a a couple of verses uh, and passages in the scripture um, that kind of further explore this in detail. The first one being in Genesis 4, which talks about the story of Cain and Abel. And it says, And again she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. Um, This is the ESV. uh, The New International Version says, and the Lord looked upon favor uh, with Abel and his offering. And I think that's really kind of the heart of where we should strive to give from. Um, not from um, I, you know, wealth or plenty, but really just in regard to um, everything that we're receiving is because of the Lord. And he is a blessing to us. He is um, our Father. He is good. And so we're giving generously back, as Abel did in that, four pers- uh, that first portion because of that blessing and because of the honor we have for the Lord. We see that also with Abraham um, in um, verse 14, I'm sorry, in chapter 14 of Genesis, Abraham is returning from um, rescuing Lot, his uh, cousin, I believe, or I'll just say family member to be exact, um, his family member um, who is a captive. Um, and it says, after his return from the defeat of Shurd Lamer and the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet him at the valley of Sheveh. 
that is the king's valley, and Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High, and he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abram gave him a tenth of everything. We see this as the first tithe offering in scripture. And what I think is super interesting is this is before, uh, clearly, uh, we have the 12 tribes, before we have the Levites. Uh, it's interesting that Abraham, um, being called by God, meets Melchizedek, who also knows the same God, uh, and praises him. Um, I just wonder how, like, how God spoke to both of them and how they met. I just think it's like super cool. And... We see Melchizedek do two things. He blesses Abraham, um, and he also points Abraham back to God for saying, blessed be God who's delivered the enemies into your hands, reminding Abraham that it's not by his strength or his armies, but that the Lord went before him and delivered these people to him. And so that we see a response, and it's really all it says. There's nothing after this in Genesis 14, but it's just, and Abram gave him a tenth of everything. Um, again, just a response to that blessing. And... I don't know if a lot of people know this, but the Jews actually gave more closely to like 23% in tithes and offerings. We hear tithe and we think it stops like at 10%, um, and that's like in the Levitical law that you hit your tithe, that 10%, and then you're done. But actually the Jews gave more closely to 23%. Uh, 10% was set aside for the Levites. Uh, They were amongst the tribes. They did not inherit anything um, after they went into the promised land. so 10% of all the tribes' um, tithes and offerings went to them um, for shepherding them, for reading the scripture and documenting that for them, for caring for the temple. Of the remaining 90%, 10% went to festivals and sacrifices for the Lord. And then every three years, there was another 10% collected for the poor. So altogether, it actually included like a 23% giving out of their um, storehouses. Um, and I use that just more as an example um, because, of course, we don't live under law anymore, but we live by grace and by spirit. Galatians 5 says, But I, I say, walk by the spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For those are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the spirit... You are not under the law. And I love how it starts there where it says, but I say walk by spirit. Because it implies that you don't have to know the destination. You don't have to know the full path. You don't have to know the route. It's a step-by-step process, which means um, there's checks and balances. There's You can go astray and the spirit can pull you back. It's a step-by-step walk that you're doing with the spirit. Um, and I think that provides us with lots of grace. And so when it comes to giving, I think that what leads us to is, again, if we're not under the law, and this might be, um, it was news to me when I was kind of reading about it, because I've always kind of considered the tenth, like, if I'm giving faithfully, the tenth is what I'm going to give. I'm trying to give that full tenth. But if we're really living by the Spirit and walking by the Spirit, there should be a lot of prayer involved in how much we're giving. Um, And there's some verses in the New Testament by Paul that kind of point out to it that there could be seasons when it might be less than 10%. And you certainly shouldn't live in shame for that. Um, but there should also be certain seasons in your life where you should be able to, uh, in spirit, exceed that 10%. To get to 15, 20, you could even get to seasons where you're at 90 to 100% of giving of what the Lord's giving you at that time because your needs are fulfilled. Um, 
And so I think it's just a really call to prayer and walking with the Spirit daily in your life as far as how is the Lord blessing you and how is the Lord enabling you to bless others. Right. Yeah, I mean, I think both of you guys are hitting on uh, basically if we can see everything through God's eyes, if we can come to believe that God is actually really good and uh, that, that uh, he's really trustworthy and that he's given us everything that we have, then we are able to not hold on so tightly to, to anything, but especially money. That's one that we have to deal with a lot. I think a good question for us to ask ourselves uh, is how do we make choices with money? That's something to think through. How do you make your choices through money? What paradigm are you operating from when you operate your money? Uh, so, hey, we're going to move on just a little bit. We have a daughter, Grace Noel, and for, she just turned three in December, and uh, we gave her this piggy bank, and it, it has three sections. You guys have probably seen them. One is save, one is give, and one is spend. And so I kind of took that, and that's kind of the basic three areas where we would use our money, right? And we're trying to teach her kind of like what Wes was talking about uh, from an early age, how to deal with those things. But I'd like us to just spend a few minutes on questions specifically regarding those three uh, spots, give, save, and spend. Um, so anyways, uh, uh, David, you and I talked a lot about giving, and you just talked a lot about giving also with the tithing and all that. Don't shut down. I know we use the word 10%. Just, just calm down. We're going to move on from giving. Um, so I, I think I asked, uh, I think I asked you the question, like, how does the gospel, and you kind of, you, you kind of already spoken to this a little bit, but how does the gospel impact or motivate your personal giving? Uh, you, when I asked you that question, you kind of said you had to rethink that all of a sudden. Like, you're like, well, I'm giving, but I don't remember why I'm giving. So can you just expand on that a little bit or rehash that? Yeah, I think a lot of it was um, I kind of got into that just automatic, like, well, I learned, you know, I was supposed to give 10%, so that's when I'm going to give. Um, and then after being challenged by that, I was like, well, you know, why do we give 10%? And so, um, yeah, I looked into the scriptures, like the ones that just shared about giving from the heart, giving out of a response to the Lord, giving out of um, a response to his blessing and realizing um, you know that I'm just a steward of you know, his riches, and really kind of acknowledging just that um, I am in, indeed, you know, just certainly truly blessed, um, and you know I want to give back, and I do that just out of obedience, um, you know, out of a heart, um, trying to seek the Lord and do, um, it's just do right by Him. Um, in John, it says, "In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you." Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. And I think in that passage, like, again, just to reiterate, it's a response to his blessing. Um, Jesus says, you know, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. So it's, not nothing, it's nothing about salvation. Like, I don't want to sit up here and say, like, you know, you have to follow the words of Christ, like, verbatim to be saved because this is definitely a response to that salvation that I claim home to that I will be obedient to him and in that obedience um, I am charged to give I am charged to care for my brother Acts 4 has some uh, really cool stuff to say about how believers live and give together and that's something that I want to see in the heart of this church I found it <laughs> And it says, Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of these things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. 
There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them, and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and was distributed to each of them as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. That is something that would be a prayer of mine for this church. Um, it would be a prayer of mine for our missional communities that we, week to week as we break bread um, in each other's homes, that we can strive to um, love each other enough and be responsive to the gospel enough to identify that our possessions are not truly our own, um, and not just the Lord's, but also each other's, and that we can meet um, each other's needs um, in that way. And if you're kind of sitting here thinking, like, well, I really don't have anything to give. Like, I am truly poor. Like, I am truly poor, poor, poor. Um, That's okay. This message is still for you, but this message is also for the person who's sitting next to you who has a job um, and an income. And by these words, I hope that I can inspire that person to consider giving to your needs. I don't want anyone to kind of, like, tune out and think I'm just speaking to people with jobs here. But, um, you know, if you're a part of this church, um, I really um, pray that you do attend a missional community and start to meet with people who might have um, either items, possessions, time, something that can bless you and like help you advance in spirit. Awesome. Wes, you got anything to add to that? Yeah, I would just say, you know, when I was thinking through this question and we, we talked, um, you know, we're looking at everyday parts of our lives in this series and how does the gospel affect uh, our everyday lives. And I think as we examine things through the lens of the gospel, uh, we ultimately just have to look to Jesus and his example. And I'd say, you know, we're called to give because Jesus was a giver. And, you know, there's not a lot of examples in Scripture of him giving financially money. There's not, that's not the, what, what I would call our attention to. But he gave an ultimate gift of his life. And I think we can, you know, most of us aren't going to be called to that. That's not the culture that we live in. Most of us aren't going to be martyrs for our faith. Um, but we are called to, to serve and love each other and love the people around us and be a reflection of uh, that characteristic uh, of the God that we serve. And so um, I think it's only natural um, if you have that view that I talked about a few minutes ago. For If you view yourself as a manager, giving is going to be a natural response of that as a, a part. Yeah. So. That's good stuff. Um, for, for time, we're going to jump to the next, the next thing. We're going to talk about savings just a little bit, and we're going to uh, talk about how the gospel impacts savings. All right? There's, anyways, Wes, you and I talked about that. Sarah and Wes have led financial peace here several times. They've done several courses. We'll be doing another one of those courses probably this summer. So if you want more help with that, you could, you'll be able to jump in on that. But uh, I know Dave Ramsey has a lot to say about savings. I went to the course. It's pretty, pretty good stuff. Um, but how do you think that the gospel ought to impact how we save as Christians? So for those of you who aren't familiar, um, the, the class that Ben referred to um, is something that Sarah and I have been through and then also helped lead that really just takes kind of a nine-week look at what the Bible has to say about money. It examines all these areas that we're talking about this morning and actually help, tries to help you establish a plan. Um, and I would say that savings really is just a, a, a way of planning um, for your money. I think uh, we just got through talking about giving and at a, a base level. Um, God's called us to, to give back, and you know, for us to be able to do that, um, those those things take money. When we have led um, the financial peace class in the, in the past, one of the first questions that we ask in one of the first couple of weeks is like, if you get to the end of this class and you feel like you've got control, um, what are some of the things that you'd like to see, um, or what are some of the things that you'd like to be able to do with money? And almost always, there's a there's a there's some an individual or a couple in the class who. Um, 
you know, would love to be able to adopt a child or help another family adopt a child or help plan a church or help their neighbor make their rent or, you know, do something good. It's never, it's usually never out of selfish intentions. And I just say, you know, savings is a very practical way that, um, we can plan to be able to do the things that God has called us to do. Um, you know, James one twenty seven says that the church is called to take is called to take care of orphans and widows. And if we're going to do that, um, that doesn't happen without some intentionality uh, in the way that we live our lives. Uh, when I was about thirteen years old, my dad uh, lost his job um, and was out of work for uh, six months, something like that. And so um, I can remember pretty vividly my parents. Um, you know, us praying as a family for God to provide and for him to provide a job for, for my dad. But there were times where, you know, at some point in that process, we were, uh, you know, on unemployment and didn't have what we needed to, to make ends meet. And I can remember uh, anonymous people in our church um, helping to provide for those needs. And as you can probably imagine, that was a pretty um, transformative memory kind of in my in my process growing up and it's something that I want to be able to do I want to be able to allow the spirit to lead Sarah and I to be able to provide for the needs of others whether that's in this church or those that we see in our community um, if you look in Acts 2 uh, 44 through 45 uh, it gives us a picture of kind of what the early church looked like and David actually read a little bit of scripture that kind of follows up that in a couple of later chapters but it says and all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as they had need. Uh, and so, you know, I was able to see a modern-day picture of what that looks like in the church, and it, it, it had a direct impact on the life of me and my family growing up. Uh, and I'd love for us to be a church who's able to look like that uh, in a modern-day setting. You know, that doesn't mean that... Um, we're communists and we, you know, pool all of our things and we hoard up in this building somewhere. Uh, but it does mean that as MCs, we look at our neighbors and see their needs and, 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 and talk about how practically we can help meet those so we can reflect um, what it looks like uh, to be followers of Christ. Uh, there's a couple other little practical things that, you know, savings, um, when I think about that, you know, when God calls us to trust him to provide, I don't think he's asking us to live hand to mouth. Um, Proverbs 16.3 says, Commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. Uh, God blesses our plans um, when we uh, dedicate them to him, and savings is part of having a plan. Um, I looked, because I had heard some statistics in the past, and in kind of thinking through this, I looked it up yesterday, and in, uh a study in 2013 said that 28% of American families have zero savings, none. And when you have no savings, all it takes is for you to get in your car and leave here today and have that car break down on the way home, and you've got a crisis. You don't just have a problem. You have a crisis in your life. Um, I don't think the goal of having savings is for us to be self-sufficient by any means. That is not what God's called us to do. Um, but having those savings does allow us to have a peace in our lives that allows us to... Um, to be sensitive to the needs of those around us. It allows us to uh, trust God and to work on the other areas of, that he's calling us to work on in our lives. Um, the focus is not internal, but it, it allows us to focus externally on others. Um, does anybody here know what uh, the traditional first-year anniversary gift is? Paper. Paper. Who came up with these things anyway? I, they don't make any sense to me. How about the 25th anniversary? Silver, it's silver. So traditionally, the tenth year anniversary is tin or aluminum, which I, you know, I don't, I don't know either one of those things that I would want. But for Sarah and I, it was um, PVC. 
So about two weeks before our 10th anniversary, um, we got the pleasure of replacing the main sewer line from our house to the street, which is already kind of a, a pricey undertaking. It's not something that you can really do yourself. Um, our house is about 12 feet below the actual street level, and if you know anything about plumbing, it needs to flow downhill. So that means that we had about a 20-foot deep hole in our front yard for a little while. And I'd, I'd love to tell you that I was really happy about writing that check. I was not. Um, I can't even take you home with me this afternoon and show you what I got for writing that check because it's 20 feet underground. Um, but because of um, what we have kind of learned about managing money and because of some of the plans that we put into place, that... Um, that 10th anniversary gift was not a crisis, and it's something that we've been able to test, testify and kind of have a testimony about how God was able to provide. And once it got past that first day or two, we were able to, to really just celebrate the fact that we didn't have to take a loan for that large check. We, were not, we didn't have to question the fact that we had been giving uh, faithfully to the church. We didn't have to question whether we were going to continue to do that going forward. We were able to um, have peace in knowing that God had provided and we could and move on from there. Um, one last thing that I'd like to just mention around saving is that it just it allows us to um, change the future for our families and for our children. Um, Proverbs thirteen twenty two says, "A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children." Um, I think a lot of times when we think about um, inheritance, at least I do, and maybe just culturally, we think about oh, there's these trust fund kids who are spoiled and they don't they don't have to work for anything. Um, that is not the picture that I'm painting. Um, there are so many good things uh, that can be done with money. Money is meant to be a blessing in our lives, not a curse. And we have a responsibility to teach our children about that. <clears throat> um, not just teach them how to handle it, but to be an example in how we're doing that. Be an example in our giving and our saving and our spending. Um, when, we, when Sarah and I have taught financial peace in the past, we have so many people that have come through the class that have said, my parents never talked about money. They weren't a good example in how to spend money. They're in debt. Um, I... I don't want that for me, and I don't want that for, for my family. Um, and the cool thing about that is God gives us the opportunity to literally change that within a generation. Um, so I, you know, I don't think there's anything that affects us more day to day and something and that's right in front of our face and, and touches you know, every part of our lives um, than, than money. And I think that's why uh, we really wanted to talk about that this morning and, and, and get, kind of get a grip and and some handles and talk start talking about some of these things so yeah david we talked about savings too and, and you got a few things to say i know about why the, how the gospel should or does impact your savings to follow wes um i think it's if you follow me here i think it's logically obvious that you can't truly give well if you're not saving well if you're living paycheck to paycheck um which may happen, but hopefully not forever, um, that if someone comes to you with a great need or someone's fundraising for a mission or something like that, like if you've only got an extra $5 um, in your pocket, how will you ever kind of get to, let's say like a donation of $250? Um, and again, I'm going to use this example for um, you know those with um, jobs and incomes. Um, if you're, um, like I said, poor, to the truest sense of the word, please just kind of consider that um, I'm still talking about your brothers and sisters sitting next to you, um, trying to encourage them to um, have the Spirit talking to them about um, 
how they should handle their possessions. But I want to be, in my heart, I want to be a good giver. Um, I do. Um, when I get to you know, the later stages of my life, I would be nice to be able to have people who went to go to Uganda and say, we're trying to raise money for Uganda. And it's like, okay, let me just write you a check and that's done. Like, I would love to be at that place in my life, although I'm not there yet. Um, but the only way I can do that is if I have that money in the bank, right? Does that, does that make sense? Like, logically, if I want to donate $250 or $1,000, I have to have that money in hand, in cash, to do so. Um, and the only way I can do that is if I don't spend it and I set it aside and I save it. And in discussion uh, this week, because we, you know, Ben was talking about Powerball, uh, I was talking about Powerball a lot this week. Uh, and me and my uh, friend Brent, we had a, a discussion about just what would you do with five hundred million dollars, and just how crazy that number is. Would you tell anybody? You know, would you tell your family? I'd probably go into hiding um, so no one could just assassinate me and take it. I don't know. If, I don't know if would it you works. Have it on you? I don't know how it works. Like if they could just raid my account, but. I'd want to have my affairs in order, you know, before I step into the sunlight again and have some lawyers draft some documents for me. Um, but we're talking about just even if you were to set aside um, with some math here, a fiftieth of that, which is ten million dollars, into a trust that would earn interest, and let's say it earns an average of seven percent interest, that would be seven hundred thousand dollars a year earnings before it even like hits the principal. So you could set $10 million in this account over here. It's called a trust. You can designate it for somebody, uh, a family member. A lot of universities do this. It would be awesome if some churches had this in place. Uh, and it's going to earn 7% over the year, which is going to equate to $700,000. And that church can draw $700,000 from that. Never touch the $10 million, and that can keep earning another $700,000 the next year. That's what's called a trust. Um, that would be an example of savings, and that's pretty phenomenal that that kind of thing can exist, um, and it does. And how crazy would it be if churches like ours or churches just out there were accruing that kind of money just free, just, it's just always going to be there, it's protected, um, as long as, you know, I guess something doesn't tank uh, investment-wise, but um, just kind of consider what a blessing that would be, um, and depending, I don't know, just, I feel like it's definitely reachable, uh, maybe not a $10 million mark, because that is a lot of moolah, um, but that kind of savings is definitely, uh, I think, tenable, um, especially if you consider just the way that we're supposed to live together and kind of combine some resources, as Acts 4 said. I think it's definitely much, much more um, a possibility, possibility in the picture. But I think overall, I think the Christian has a duty to learn about money and how it works. Uh, like we're talking about Financial Peace University. It's basically a basic money class, just the basis of what you know, need to know of how it works, how to get out of debt, and how to kind of make it uh, work for you so that you can be a good steward of it. And, and that's simply just education. And I think um, the Christian is really responsible to take some time and to learn about that so that he can have dominion over um, the land a little bit better. And I want to share just a real quick story just about um, some of my in-laws um, who funded themselves to go on a mission trip to the east um, and they're um, in their 50s. I think they just entered their 60s. They've worked all their life, and they've been saving um, faithfully. And they just, you know, they are a part of a Christian Missionary Alliance church. And just they wanted to, um, they went to lunch with a missionary um, who was funded in the East, and said, "Just 
tell us about your mission. Like we, we are interested in maybe you know backing you a little bit and giving you. We want to know about what's going on in your heart. And they said, okay, great. We'll have this lunch, and um, we're going to convince you to come with us. Um, long story short, they went to lunch, and they were indeed convinced that, hey, why not? Why not go to to the east and um, partner with these guys on mission? Um, and it was so great because of the responsiveness to that, um, hearing that call, and also because of the way that they have saved through life, they could fund themselves. That they didn't, um, you know, they, they were able to go because it wasn't like they, you know, quit their jobs back home and didn't have anything. They had a storehouse that could pay for their mortgage back in the United States, uh, that could, you know, stock up on medication to go over there, um, and that they could fund their own salaries while living overseas all because that they had saved that they were able to serve the Lord in that way. Um, and so that, I mean, that's spoken a lot of truth into me about, you know, what am I doing with my life now? What am I setting up for in the future? Am I just going to have a bigger house in a decade or am I going to be potentially debt-free and able to just, you know, rent my house out for a year and go serve on missions somewhere? Like, I think it's definitely a potential out there and it wasn't something I would have seen unless I had seen the, you know, what's possible by saving and giving and thinking what the Lord wants for me. Yeah, it seems like uh, as we learn how to save and we can learn how to make money work for us, which is just being good stewards of it, it really frees us up to uh, to be able to give. I think both of you said that. Like saving will free us up to be able to give and it frees us up to be able to go. So like they go to that lunch and they feel like they should go, they can go. You know, other, otherwise it might be difficult. Um, and we don't have a lot of time left and we, we got to wrap this up, but uh, I really would like to talk real briefly about spending. Uh, I think it's the third, the third area of what we put our money into. For most of us, it may be the, the biggest area. And for most of America, it might be the only area. You know, there might be, like you said, what was it, 28%? Have no savings whatsoever. How many of them are not in church or don't give anywhere? Uh, and basically, it's all about spending money. And so uh, I talked to both of you this week about how the gospel influences our spending, or, or at least how it ought to. So, uh, David, you mentioned how the comparison game kind of gets you into trouble or at least tempts you to get into trouble. So uh, can you share a little bit about that briefly? <laughs> briefly, yes. Yeah, um, yeah it's, it's super hard. Um, I can live uh, in peace and um, comfort and uh, contentment, that's what I'm thinking of, um, but then as soon as I look outward and kind of see what my coworkers are doing with their time and money or with their life, um, I can get jealous and it can, uh, start to put just a seed of discontent, you know, in my heart. Um, and it's so hard to fight against that, but the only thing that can is just trusting, uh, in the scripture and trusting in the Lord. Um, you know, I got a text message this week from, uh, one of my, uh, friends from school and he was like hey check out this you know wedding we're going to and taking pictures of this exotic destination and he showed us a picture of his groomsmen's gifts um which were full-size yeti coolers which are what five hundred dollars i mean just there's like so there's nine of them and they're all like custom painted with you know your favorite sports team logo and it's like goodness (laughs) what lottery did you things cold yeah, I guess so. Yeah, it keeps your beer cold. Yeah, for five hundred dollars. Um, I mean, if you have one, whatever. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm looking at that. I'm like, oh my gosh, like, how can you do that? You know, like, God, it would take me years, like, to just to even conceive about, like, just 
kind of given that away. Um, and so you kind of look outward, and then it does kind of despair you. And you're like, what am I doing? Like, am I not successful? Like, what's in my way? Do I have too many expenditures? Like, why am I not there yet? Why don't I have that kind of free capital? And it's just because, you know, the Lord has called me for something different. The Lord has called me to care for my brother and sister and to partner with him on mission and raise up missionaries um, and to um, love my neighbor. And, you know, the... In Matthew 6, Jesus says, you know, where uh, your treasure is, your heart will be also. And I've just really had to kind of call that into question for my heart of like, you know, is my heart really for sale? Um, where is my money going? What's it following? And um, I want my treasures to be in heaven. And so I have to really um, press myself, pray about it, um, use the scripture to encourage me just to continue just to focus on things that have eternal gain and eternal value versus you know, comparing myself to my coworker and what they're doing with uh, their resources. What about you, Wes? You got anything on spending? Yeah, I'd just say this is an area where each of us has to allow the spirit to keep our hearts in check. Um, you know, for, for me, it might not be a bigger house or a shinier car, but I think for each of us, there's something that, that draws our heart. There's, you know, we're, we're built with a, and we're kind of surrounded by a culture that wants, and we're always being sold things. Um, one of the things that our uh, missional community does um, when we get together and meet is we, we start the, our, our meeting time with uh, kind of sharing something that we're thankful for. And I'd just say that, you know, you know David said, mentioned how he has to kind of personally um, you know, keep his heart in check, and I would, I, that was, that's some of the same notes that I made, but I think it's something that we can help each other with. This is a, an area where we can, we can fight this and we can battle um, discontentment with thankfulness. Um, I am rich. I am absolutely rich. And if you're in this room, you very likely are too. You might not feel rich, but compared to the rest of the world, we have, we are so blessed. Um, and so it, it, it's very helpful to remind um, myself of that. Um, I think a, there's an opportunity for us to encourage each other and remind each other of that as well. Um, I think it can be uncomfortable. This is an area where we don't often want to um, get into each other's business. Um, but I, I, I just encourage you to allow others uh, to speak into your lives in, 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 the, in the area of money and all these um, the various aspects that we've kind of talked about this morning. Uh, one other thing that I would, I would put on the spending section, I guess, is, uh, it's kind of a question I've been asking myself, and I think it's something that maybe we can, maybe it's jumping the gun, maybe we've got to talk about the comparison thing and all that first, and we've got to deal with that with each other. But, uh, but something else that we can begin to ask is, how does the, how does the gospel affect like, where I spend my money? Uh, for me, that's like, does, does God have a plan for me, my money beyond when it leaves my wallet or my bank account? Right? And do I have some sort of responsibility for where it goes? Um, so, you know, I guess what I'm asking, or the question I've been asking myself is, does the gospel speak into, you know, like what matters more? Like whether I should be more concerned with uh, my jeans costing $2, $3 less or whatever so that I could save that and give to somebody? Or should I be more concerned about where they're made and what the conditions are and, and who's making them and what's happening in that situation, right? Those are two things we gotta, we got to think about. Or, or maybe like, I know, yeah, well... You know, maybe it's a question of like, is it better for me to spend on Amazon or is it better for me to speak, uh, spend locally? I don't think that there's a blanket answer on that. I don't think that there's a line that we can draw. I mean, there rarely is on any issue, probably. Just some sort of line that covers everybody. But I'd really like us to be able to go there together to start asking the questions into one another. You know, how does the gospel speak into the things that we buy? And maybe um, just a, a question we can ask ourselves is, uh, you know, 
or, or I don't know, just, we just need to wrestle through that together. I think we've got to wrestle through, like, what matters most? And I, how does the gospel speak into this particular body? What, and we're going to have to get to the heart. Whose am I? Who am I? And let that direct us in all of our spending. But I, I think it's a good, uh, a, a good place to go. Uh, one last thing. Wes and I talked a little earlier this week about our, our finances and how that reflects what mission we are on. All right? uh, so we often talk about, at Redemption Church, we often talk about our vision, which is to lead people to Jesus, to lead people to Jesus. Basically, we say we're on mission to make disciples. And uh, we started talking about, like, how would our money reflect that? And, uh, Wes, we talked a little bit about uh, how we think it's important to direct our money in such a way that reflects our desire to, le- to be disciple makers. Um, and maybe it's even a very loud way that we can do that. Yeah, I'd just say, you know, I think it, in every, every part of our life, every part of our lives says something about what we believe about God. Um, and I think, you know, money is just an issue that is so all-encompassing and so, touches so many everyday parts of our lives. Uh, this ties directly back to the, the conversation we had last week about work. You know, that, that, that goes right alongside money. You know, we all work to provide um, for, our, for ourselves and for our families. Um, and so I think, you know, the way that we give, save, and spend, um, it declares to the world around us what we believe about God, what we, how we're trusting him to provide, what we believe about what he says about giving. Um, and so, you know, I think it's, the temptation is always there for us to make it a very personal thing and say, well, this is mine, this is what I've, I've, I've earned this, I've worked for it, it's really my decision what to do with it. And God has given us that freedom um, and has put that, you know, it has made that, something that we have to decide to do, but us living responsibly and um, trusting God to do what he said he's going to do um, allows us to declare the gospel to the world around us. So, Anything to wrap it up, David? Yeah, I think when it comes to um, just the way the gospel um, talks about it, it really kind of hits home with just living on mission and being intentional. Um, and living on mission is actually from what I can tell, a pretty new thing um, when it comes to just the Christian faith. Like, it wasn't something I see a lot in the Old Testament being talked about of, you know, definitely following the law and um, observing the Lord, um, fearing the Lord, but the charges that Christ makes with the Great Commission and with what we see of what's in Acts, you know, this, the freedom to the Gentiles, the freedom to intermingle, to eat what they eat, um, to be where they are, it's a new charge, and it's I think very convicting. Um, you know, Bree and um, Brent and I were talking earlier this week just about um, Paul's letter in Corinthians that just talks about you know being single versus being married, and how um, he charges them to say, you know, I'd be my prayer that you are as I am single in nature, just so you can fully commit to the kingdom of the Lord. You know, the kingdom being potentially more important than your relationship. Um, ships on earth, um, that if you're not already married, that you should you know, consider staying unmarried so you can just serve the Lord better. Um, and that's like, I mean, that's heavy. Um, I'll leave it at that. I'll just leave it at that. It's really heavy. Um, and just kind of let that sit there. Just that Paul's saying this, your mission, your life here on earth and what you do for the Lord is more important than you know, just even the prospect of getting married, where if you grew up in an evangelical church uh, from an early age, you were probably told, like, well, you're going to go to college, you're going to maybe go to high school, probably, <laughs> maybe graduate, and then hopefully get married someday. And I, like, that was the chart for your life. And then Paul's saying, like, think bigger than that. Think about the kingdom of 
the Lord and what he's calling you to. So there's definitely just a mission mindset of um, being activated and um, going forth in the Lord. Um, and I'll end it with just that if we're silent about the way that we approach money and the church, um, you know, the world is not. The world is not silent with how um, you just be between marketing and advertising and the things that they say, this will buy you, you know, happiness. Um, I know it creeps into my own heart where my perfect date night has to be um, a fancy restaurant and some cocktails or something like that. And Well, I don't have a problem saying that up here. Because um, that, I mean, for me, that would be like the perfect Friday night to do that. And I don't think, um, you know, that's, of course, scripturally relevant. I think that my heart can go deeper than that to where me and my wife can have a relationship that doesn't require that kind of expenditure for us to uh, love one another. So if the world is not silent, we can get wrapped up into, uh, I'm sorry, if we're silent, we can get wrapped up into what the world wants us to believe. Um, That's it? All right. Hey, guys. Thanks for coming up. Can you guys give them a round of applause? Appreciate it. (laughs) Hey, I think you're going to be getting out of here just a little bit late. I'm sorry. Okay. I hope we haven't bored you too much, and I'm not going to speak uh, very much longer, but I don't want to just wrap things up without sharing just a few scriptures with you. There's been a lot of scriptures shared this morning, but I want to share just a couple more. Uh, number one is First Timothy 6, 6 through 10. It says, But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with, with these, we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of, mo- for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. And as reading this, it, it reminded me of another verse in, in uh, Luke, which is 16, 13. Uh, no, and Jesus says, No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So we got to remember, like I said, that we're, this is about serving God. It's about letting our money reflect that we serve God, not letting our service of God reflect how we serve money. Does that make sense? And finally, that takes me back to Timothy chapter 6, 17 through 19. Um, as for the rich in this present age, just, this is, as I was thinking about what we really want to send you off with, this is what I really want us to think about. This is the charge, right? As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us, richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Now, we talked a lot this morning about what we ought to do with our money, uh, how we ought to spend it, how we ought to save it, and how we ought to give it. Uh, those are things that we do with our money. But we've got to understand that those are just the things that we do, right? And it's important that we understand that doing the right things with money, uh, even if we could get it all just right and get everything in the right category, it still won't define you, right? We've got to get this this morning. It's possible, I think it's possible, especially after all that that we just dumped out there, to leave and try to rework our budgets and rework everything that we every dollar, get it in the right category, get it in the right jar, and, uh, so that we'll be right with God, so that we'll earn our way to, to righteousness with God. But that's not the point. The charge is to set your hope in God and in his riches. 
So setting your hope by, by just working all that to make the righteousness, you'd just be putting your hope in your, own, in your own works. And that's not the point this morning. Your life is not defined by what you have or what you do or don't have, by what you have or what you don't have. And your life isn't defined by how you give, how you spend, or how you save money. They're important things to know. It ought to represent, it ought to reflect how the gospel's worked in our life, but it's not going to define you. And so I would charge you the same way that Paul charges Timothy this morning. Um, not to be haughty, to set your hopes on God because he provides us with everything that we enjoy. Um, I would also charge you to remember that God is your ultimate provider, that he's your father, that you're his child, that he loves you and that he's good and he's powerful and he can be trusted. That's the biggest thing. He can be trusted because what matters most, like I said, is whose you are. You're a child of God. That's what's going to define who you are. Whose you are will define who you are. Either your money's or something else. And if you belong to money, then everything you do will serve money. If you belong to God, then everything you do will serve God. And that's going to define who you are. But you're an heir in Christ. If you're a Christian, if you know Christ, if you believe that he is who he said he is and done what he said he would do, and that he's come to rescue and put you in right relationship with the creator of all things, your father in heaven, then you've got to know that you're in right relationship with the most rich being there is. He's the richest, he's rich beyond measure. And he lavishly gives to the whole world, honestly. He, he generously gives to the whole world. And what Jesus has done by bringing you into that right relationship with the Father is you, you're receiving an invitation to join him in that. You've received an, an invitation from your very, 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 very rich father who is very, very, very generous to take his riches and be generous with them. Right? Who you are will proclaim to the world whose you are. If you're a child of God, it will proclaim to the world that you are God's. As the, as the, excuse me, um, as the gospel speaks through, uh, ah, I'm tongue-tied, I'm sorry. Who you are will proclaim to the world whose you are. And uh, as the gospel speaks and defines every dollar that you have and every dollar that you save and every dollar that you spend to the glory of God. So hear this. Do good, be rich in good works. Be generous and ready to share. Lay up treasure that is better than gold. Take hold of that which is truly life, which is knowing God as your Father and submitting all of life to the empowering presence and lordship of Jesus. And I'm going to wrap it up. Here's, here's what I'm asking you to do this week. Uh, keep the conversation going in your DNAs and in your missional communities and with your Christian brothers and sisters uh, we've only begun to examine this area of life through the lens of the gospel. We just kind of hit some stuff, I know. But take a bulletin. There's questions in there that you can take with you. Run through those discussion questions together. Keep the conversation uh, going. And get a little transparent with each other about your financial situation. Nobody wants to do that. That's what makes this hard. We're not allowed to speak about money to each other. We're, it's okay sometimes if we talk about it from the stage and say you ought to give. But it's really hard if we start telling each other how to spend and how to save. Like, nobody wants to hear that. So I'm going to ask that you get a little transparent with each other about your financial situation, that you get a little bit vulnerable, and that you be willing to get your feelings a little bit hurt by one another. Because we need to hear the truth of the gospel in these things. Um, lastly, I'll ask you to ponder through this question, like I said, uh, with your group. But as you leave this place this morning, I just want you to leave thinking about a few things. Number one, 
asked this question. Do you tend to be a hoarder, a spender, or a giver? Do you tend to be a hoarder, a spender, or a giver? And who or what would you say that you belong to in light of that answer? Does that make sense? You're a hoarder, you're a spender, or a giver. How does the answer to that question define you? And which does the gospel call, to, call, call you to be? Um, lastly, there's a few... We have a lot of the discussion questions in the bulletin came from a book called Money by uh, Jamie Munson. And we have a little stack of those if you're interested in reading some more on this and, and going further, I can get you one. But just see, go to the uh, guest services table and you can get one of those afterwards. Um, we're going to wrap it up. And uh, over the next few minutes, we're going to enter into a time of response. I would ask you to begin to think about that question. Am I a hoarder, a spender, or a giver? And what does uh, the gospel call me to be? Just begin to think about that. Uh, but what we're going to do is what we do every Sunday. Is we'll, The band will come up in a couple of minutes. They'll sing uh, and lead us in, the, in song. And it's a time of praise and worship, a time for you to sing back to God. It's a time for you to reflect and thank or pray or any of those uh, things. It's all, we also have a giving basket in the back. And uh, it better be full this morning, right? We talked about giving. <laughs> I'm just kidding. We won't put that there just to meet the needs of the church. That's kind of the point this morning, right? This is because... We believe that this is what we've been called to by God, and we believe this is an act of us cheerfully giving and trusting in the Lord with our money and saying, it's all yours anyways. We can trust you to take, to take this 10%. Everything we have is yours. You've called us to be good managers of it. I can personally attest, and I know others can too, that it's not like I started giving and I started getting Ferraris, right? But I started giving and I started having much more peace and finding uh, that God is really is who he said he is and he really does what he says he'll do and he's really trustworthy and good and I would challenge you to do that as well uh, so we have a time of tithe and offering as well and then we take communion and in taking communion you'll come down the middle you go to either side you'll break off the bread dip it in the wine or the juice and in doing this we're remembering Christ came lived died rose again and he made a way for you and me to know our father to be in right relationship with father our father who we were separated from and we're proclaiming that that's true to each other. We're saying we believe that. We're proclaiming that it's true. And we're play, proclaiming it to uh, one another because we're forgetful people and we needed to be reminded and that's why we're in each other's lives. And, uh, and we're also proclaiming it to those of you who may not know him or may not believe. I'm telling you this morning that we don't just believe because it says so in a book. That's a big part of it, absolutely. But we believe because we've seen him rescue us, because we know what he's done in our life and we have a relationship with with God. He's real. It's a real deal. And he offers you salvation. And we're proclaiming that to you as well. And if you're a Christian, we just always say this, if you're a Christian and uh, you've kind of forgotten, you need to, and you're maybe holding on to some guilt, some shame, some sin, some conflict with each other, you need to lay that at the feet of Jesus this morning. Hear what's being proclaimed. Hear the good news that's being proclaimed to you. Clear that up. Lay that at the feet of Jesus. And you can come and take and eat and remind each other again that the gospel saves. And the gospel means that we're his. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you uh, again for this day. We thank you for this time. And we thank you for the opportunity uh, to talk about money with, uh, with these folks. And, uh, and I pray, Lord, that over the next weeks, months, over the next year, that you just continue this conversation, that you would stir in our hearts to go there with one another to go there with you first in prayer uh, and to allow you to touch our money. 
It's not ours, it's yours. And, uh, and it's just such a big thing that uh, gets between us, your children, and you, our Father. And we're praying that uh, you help us to, to allow you to take over, to make our money a blessing to us, make a blessing to those, our neighbors, our brothers, our sisters, to those who do not know you, that our money would be a blessing to you, God, and that we would glorify you in everything that we do and in everything we spend, how we save, and how we give. Ultimately, Lord, I just pray that um, over this next few minutes and over these conversations, you point us to Christ, that we would know what great love he's demonstrated toward us. We begin to comprehend that and that it would break our hearts and that we would see that you've provided a way. You've been so generous and so gracious to us that you've made a way for us to to be, to know you, to know our Father. And uh, would we know what a huge blessing that is to our lives and, and, and that we would grasp onto that. We love you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.